Hey, it's Alan. It's Brent. And we're back for 58. 58 what? Episode number 58. Episode 58. Sequentayocho. Oh. Oh, I get it. He's speaking a foreign language because today is Cinco de Mayo. Woohoo. Which uh, is, for those of you not multilingual, like Brent and I, stands for May 5th. And May 5th is Spanish, I believe, for tacos and tequila. It is. Now, curiosity, what sort of tacos do you eat? Oh, uh, like restaurants or when I make tacos myself? Yeah, like what's a tofu taco? Ah, dude. Yeah, I know. Oh, fish tacos. You can eat those. Um, Those are worth eating. Vegequarian. So uh, going out, uh, uh, Taco Del Mar is, of course, good. I prefer to make my tacos at home. Uh, Are you corn or flour taco? Depends. Well, that's the right answer. I'm kind of, I kind of go through phases, to tell you the truth. In, in my humble opinion, uh, it's not a taco if it's on a flour tortilla. Yeah, it's, kind of. It's, it's something a else, fajita right? Fajita or a burrito, a, an unrolled burrito. I something. Yeah, yeah. I, I prefer the corn tortillas too. Uh, soft or hard? Uh, again, Get your mind out of the gutter. Again, a no preference. Yeah, it I, depends on the taco. It kind of does. Wow. We have uh, really expressed our opinions deeply here on the topic. Tequila. Yes. What kind? Uh, Blanco, Reposado, uh, Anejo. Uh, I'm, I generally go with Anejo. I'm no longer in college and I can afford the good stuff. Yeah, I do not <laughs> like the, the, I do not drink the Blanco tequila. Uh, it's just, I need a little bit of um, flavor to my tequila. I don't mind sipping tequilas. I'm, I'm beyond like shots of tequila. Uh, as as faithful listeners know, Brent, as a going away present from Microsoft, uh, gave me a wonderful bottle of tequila, 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 tequila. That's tequila. The male version of tequila, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's extra manly. <laughs> Which um, uh, there's still some left. Really? Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice sipping tequila. You can't sip every uh, night. I mean, it, it. My view is. If you it use doesn't tequila, go bad. For, if, if you use tequila, no, it does not. But if you <laughs> use tequila for uh, mixed drinks, you want to start with a sipping tequila. Yeah, and to be clear, when we make uh, margaritas at home, it is uh, good tequila. Uh, none of this margarita mix. That's for college. All right, you use uh, and nothing processed or stripped. You use uh, all you all. It's in the the uh, the my margaritas is tequila Cointreau. Orange liqueur from France mm-hmm. and lime, fresh lime, not out of the little plastic thing that looks like a lime. Fresh squeezed lime, Cointreau, tequila, shaken over ice. Oh, so good. Oh, what would now? <laughs> yeah, we, shall we pause and go to the grocery store? Um, <laughs> you know, usually I don't drink before nine, but today's it's Friday. What the hell? Cinco de Mayo. It is. It is. <laughs> and this, we have a podcast. We do. We do. Do you want to do that today or just? I'm spending the time. I mean, we might ah, as well whatever, do this. Whatever. Right. Hey, so we, um, this is 58 and our last episode was 57. And I thought maybe we could talk just a little bit about 57 because it was uh, an experiment for us that was definitely a learning experience. Maybe not in hindsight what Maybe the best thing we wanted for our listeners. Uh, not that it was 
to be fully clear, I like Hans. I think he's professional, very, very well versed in his craft. Knows uh, his stuff. But maybe not, wasn't, in hindsight, wasn't the best match for the style of A-B testing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as listeners know, we're not afraid to try things out. My my previous least favorite episode was the one we did at Redfin, where we said, hey, let's do a podcast and a presentation simultaneously. Um, I'm not aware of too many people doing that. I no. think we may have learned why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, or the last episode... Right. Um, that wasn't yesterday. It was last week. Yeah, it's still fresh. Uh, you know, it, it was it was our first time doing a a call-in uh, guest. Yeah, it was a little different. Guest. When we had Steve Rowe on the show, he was in the room with us, allowed for some more interaction. Yep. I, I had kind of hoped originally that we would have a little bit more interaction with Hans. And I blew that a little bit by having uh, a half a dozen prepared questions. But I, I originally, I. I viewed those as sort of like our Kanban board, but we didn't really get into a discussion. I think it's a little bit because we're not quite in the same world of testing as Hans. Uh, I, I don't know no, if it was yeah. the phone. Uh, I'm not quite sure what combination it was, but it just didn't... It didn't feel like a typical A-B testing podcast. With lots of good information, uh, we even had one of the three say he liked it, and it's good, good information there, so I'm happy there. But Yeah, but the feedback from the three was... The, the, the other two. Yeah, the, <laughs> the other two of the three, their feedback was essentially, it aligned, I think, more closely to how we felt about it, that it wasn't that sort of... Uh, interview style with the type of information that was being communicated isn't a great alignment for the AB testing podcast. It isn't. I would, and I'm going to put this out here now, I would like to try another remote guest sometime, somebody we can that we think will be a little bit more interactive and a little less structured, if somebody that can handle that format, and see if we can pull it off. Because I'd love to have guests in once in a while. I don't think... And, sub and subject them to the A-B onslaught of idiocy. But I want to make sure... Uh, it It's going to require... It's a narrower set of people than the world. For sure. For sure. Like, uh, you and I have talked of who I think is a good candidate for that. Yeah. yeah. That, I think it'd be a good one. We can get him on. But also the three, if you have suggestions, uh, I think that because could be something we do from time to time. I don't want to make it A, B, and guest testing, but no. I think it's uh, for the sake of variety and just getting some more opinions, as long as we can do it with dialogue and discussion with the A, B style of shit flipping, uh, I think it'll work out. I, I do think that's like... A the next sort of guests that we do, they need to realize that there's an informality on the A-B testing uh, podcast as well as um, what our listeners are looking for. Like what differentiates us, in my view, from 
from the other testing podcasts is, that, is in a nutshell, we're saying uh, if, to be to exaggerate, we're we're essentially saying everything you learned about testing before is not really valid as as much as it used to be, or not valid at all. Yeah, a lot's changing, and you you got yep. through that well without saying testing is dead. So yeah, um, no, there's a there's a there is a quality revolution at foot. There is, there is, and you can embrace it and ride it, or you can just STFU, I guess. Yeah, so, plus we had <laughs> our un, our typical unfair share of uh, equipment issues pulling that together. So it was, in my view, it in. in there was some good content there for those who have a, an interest in that space. I don't think in general the people who are attracted to our podcast um, are interested in, in learning that content. All right. right. There's other podcasts like that and people who want like sort of the, the direct interview style. Um, there's lots of those out yeah, there. I get it. So I think. We're on the same page, I think, with um, many of the listeners. Is that uh, great information? Didn't feel like an A/B testing podcast. It was a interview podcast that happened to include Alan and Brent. And, yeah, and, and we're going to continue to experiment once in a while, but most of the time, it'll just be us yelling at each other. Or, well, again, <laughs> well, we need to figure out how to how to make the informal style move across the wall to to guess pre pre inform them that. Hey, you know, I think this is what you yeah. should expect. Okay, that horse has been beaten, but uh, thanks, yep. thanks for letting us reflect and dwell on that. Shall we move on to the next item? Yes. Not all of what I'm doing as a manager at Unity. Oh, wait. Alan talks about working at Unity. <laughs> that's the, I don't have a fancy sound or sound effect for that, but that's what we're going to use. Okay. So, uh, I have liberally and massively pushed the Brent line on testing is uh, role of testing oh. is to uh, accelerate the achievement of shippable quality. So I love using that because it, it it's generic enough yet specific enough to apply across what I want to do. But uh, one thing I'm sure I've talked about before. Drink. I'll take one later. Cinco uh, de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> Is that uh, my uh, QA org at Unity is uh, everyone on the team minus my my three leads are embedded as members of feature teams. They're they're part of the feature team. I consider them to be the quality and testing expert on that feature team. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, this is leading somewhere. The question is then they're all working within a feature team. They all have one on ones with the feature team lead, uh, yet they all report up through me. So it's an odd organizational structure. So in my mind, I view it as I don't run a QA organization. I run a QA community, meaning that we can leverage each other to uh, learn for some other things. I want to talk a little bit more about that. So, But in this sort of organization, I mentioned community to Brent, I think in passing last week, and he goes – I don't know if I agree with that. I think he might have said I was stupid. I can't remember. It was somewhere in between there. But I said, hey, let's discuss that on let's, air let's next time. Let's be real. When I, when I tell you I don't agree with that, it's the same thing. 
Yeah, I. <laughs> it's what it's what I hear versus what you're saying. No, and what, I'm, what I'm telling you, it's the same thing. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I'm beyond that. We've done enough of these. This is our 58th damn episode. Of course, I did one without you. Remember? Yeah, it's Remember? not our 58th. Remember? 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 Right. Remember? Just to bring 57 back, it's our 57th. So I, I, will, I will elaborate more on um, uh, why I like that metaphor or that Maybe it's not a metaphor. Why I like the concept of my org as community. But I'm curious now, because I haven't heard him before, why you think that may not be the best way to describe what I have and there's a better way to do that. Uh, so uh, I actually – so Alan um, told me, uh, I don't know, a week ago that we, he wanted to talk about this. And I promised that I would do some some research on this. And then liar, I remember liar, this is the AB. I remember this is the AB testing podcast. Uh, so yeah, I didn't do that. Uh, or it could have just been I forgot, or I'm lazy. Well, you know, whatever. Um, oh, we can do a poll. Is Brent lazy? Did he forget, or is he just stupid? No, all of the above. Okay. D. <laughs> oh, anyway, go on. Go on. All right. <coughs> so. Th- Couple of things. First and foremost, like what you describe, uh, tell me in your view how is how what you're doing right now or how it's organized right now, how it's any different from the uh, just to make this extra painful. The organizational structure pushed down on Microsoft by the Office and Windows orgs, otherwise known as the functional org, where all the QA reports to one discipline, but they're all expected to work together with members of the other discipline. You mean like traditional Microsoft, like right. triad org? Yep. I, I think the difference is, is that in that world, the test manager ran this test org and they ran them independently. And of course they worked across, but their work wasn't dictated by the rest of the feature team, the developers on that feature team. Uh, it wasn't? Not that much, no. Uh, maybe not explicitly. So Implicitly, uh, it sure the hell was. I don't know if that was consistent across the board. I think that... Uh, Come on, how many times... Uh, um, like I faced over and over again. Hey, we only have a month. Right, this is the whole reason why the test compression thing happened. But in that it was world, but all the damn time. That it's was function one in a typical waterfall model where they threw shit over the wall to the test team. Right. Said, Here's my shit. Test it. And they tested the crap out of it. They said, Here are the bugs. And they fixed the bugs. And the codependency went on and on until. Um, they had this year-long stabilization in Office, especially, and when that was over, they shipped. Okay, so so, so, so one key difference could be is essentially um, you're underfunding the feature teams in terms of their QA folks, so that they can't do that behavior. Per, uh, right? If you're assigning basically QA coaches to all of these feature teams, right? Then right, and they do. And to be fair, they do plenty of testing. They are they're doing. 
They're not writing the unit test for the developers as many of those office testers did. They are working with the dev team to. I had repressed that. Understand <laughs> what testing needs to get done. They're not, definitely not writing unit tests. They're writing some integration tests, looking at some end to end scenarios, looking at what can fail. They're looking at customer data. They're just they're doing what they can to accelerate the achievement of shippable quality. But they're very tightly knit in a team of you know six, seven, at most eight people. And it could be the difference between functioning that way within an agile team versus the waterfall teams that Microsoft had. Okay. Uh, but what they do is they're much more, imagine if you had, if I was going to build a team now, I'm going to have a startup. I have eight people. Say I'm going to hire seven people. Uh, I'm going to hire, I want to hire diverse. I want to hire specialized in generalists. And one of those people is going to be able to specialize in test and quality issues. And that's, how each of my feature teams is structured now. So then the question is then that I, that I've been asked by one, just in one part of my org is, well, why would, why wouldn't they all just report to the dev manager? All their work comes from there. And this is where my concept of community comes in. This is why I feel as a community more than an organization, because the benefit I provide in running this org is in, with my experience in the testing world is making connections between people in the QA orgs. They can learn new concepts from each other. As we, anybody listening to this podcast knows testing is much more complex. It's an iceberg of stuff. There's a metaphor there, but it good testing is much more complex than it appears on the surface. And I want in order for my team to grow and get better at doing what they do, being the quality coach, the accelerator, whatever, they need to be able to learn from each other. And I want to provide a mechanism for which to learn. And what I'm providing is going to the five orders of ignorance, look them up, I'm not going through them all, is a, a suitable method to learn what you don't know you don't know. And that's what my community provides, is, is, is a way for you to discover what you don't know you don't know, so you can go, oh, I didn't know that. Now I know it. That is a method of, of course, knowledge acquisition. So I'm using community as a as a way of facilitating <coughs> so I, learning. I get, I get, I get where you're coming from, and I do agree that the community aspect is going to be important for success. Yeah. Let me right. let me just interrupt it. I'm going to read the definition of community before my eyes fade, and then you can go on. the The applicable definition. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Yeah. And as a QA organization, we absolutely must have and do that. So it's um, it's MS poll season. Oh, God. At Microsoft. I miss it so much. Please let me take the Microsoft poll so I may fill out data that my managers may poo-poo and ignore or throw a morale event on the day of the poll to skew the results. <laughs> or the <laughs> or quickly pull together a very uh, quick reactionary uh, meeting shortly after that so that a year from now management can take credit for taking action based off of the the poll results. Yeah, my experience with poll results <laughs> is take immediate credit for anything that improves. And uh, dismiss the rest as an anomaly. Yeah, yeah actually, <laughs> actually, that is. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't mean to rag on Microsoft, but it was like Brent put a softball up there, as big as a beach ball, and 
I had a big bat. No, so you just described actually uh, the the in, another way of framing the main problem with vanity metrics because that happens pretty much every time with vanity metrics. Well, it's a common bias. I'm going to uh, believe the parts I like and discard the points I don't. One of my favorite ones, like I, I um, just as an aside, something we kind of do here. Um, there's been this one metric that I've been watching and uh, watching uh, PM behavior. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that the metric is sinusoidal. So it goes up and down and up and down, up and down, almost exactly to the reporting cadence. So in in one month, it'll be up. The next month, it'll be down. The next month, it'll be up. The next month, it'll be down. Okay, and it's it's been fun. Um, the, the, there was this one PM that was responsible for presenting it, and... Um, I pulled her aside and I said, after observing, she's relatively new, and after observing what was going on, I'm like, can I show you something? Because <laughs> what every time it was up, hey, yeah, our, our implementation. So last month I reported that, that everything was in the, the can, and this is what we did, and look, it's up. Yay, us. And then the next month it was... Yeah, we don't – this appears to be an outlier. We're not certain what actually caused this, and we're going to do some investigation. And then the next month, hey, so we investigated it. Oh, my God. And I'm just like, you, you got to look at the pattern as a whole. And really, the pattern as a whole is uh, – like if I, I, I said, like we would need to do a drill down and, and – probably do some A-B testing on these things or... or um, what are the other kinds of A-B testing? There are many. Yeah. Uh, Just to, for a second... Do... do um, we would want to to decompose the data a bit yeah. differently. Yeah, I know, I know. To, to say, to statistically validate that when we say it's having an improvement, it's actually yeah. having an improvement. Because just looking at this... I'm going to say, no, everything we've done, just looking at this trend, everything we've done has had no effect. And actually, there's some other pattern that's happening. Now, it's, it is entirely possible that when it's on the high, it also could be like every time it's on the high, that's actually, hey, we really improved. And so dev gets sloppy and then breaks it. But the fact that, no. it's, that it's, a, it's a recurring pattern that's up and down, I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's true. Anyway. Back to community. Oh no! Before we get there, oh, uh, it reminds me. I haven't visited that that site that shows uh, causation without correlation, correlation without causation. Like murders coincide with um, Johnny Depp movies, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's, I, I I will try and find it for the show notes, but it's uh, a great example of how you can, uh, yeah, of, of this actually. Yeah, and there's. There are ways to actually um, tell the truth better. I actually uh, my, are, 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 my PM without my using team, alternative facts. Are we? Are we? 
Right. It, the, there, <laughs> but it, it takes analysis. It, it takes realizing what you're doing. Like um, yeah. my PM, <clears throat> he and I spent two hours yesterday on what should be a simple problem. But as we sat down and sort of decomposed it, we realized, nope, this is much harder um, to prove. Like what we're trying to do, um, we have a new UI. And what we're trying to prove is that this new UI is preventing people from creating CSS tickets. Okay. Okay. And their initial metric was very simple. If they can, if they get to a certain point in the flow and then they cancel out of it, yay, pat ourselves on the back. And I'm like, um, there are other reasons why they could be canceling. Where right? we need to do a comparison. It's like if the canceling with this this mm-hmm. with this new UI behavior, if the rate of canceling with this new UI behavior is roughly equivalent to the rate of canceling without this new UI behavior, yeah, uh, no, that's just curiosity, most yeah. likely, yeah. right? Not an actual yay, pat ourselves on the back uh, adventure. Um, but we, we came up with a, an interesting approach um, and one where we can analyze like what's happening with the customer behavior. And, and if we don't like the numbers it, it, uh, in certain places, we now know exactly where to drill in to further explain what's happening so that we can publish uh, a, a, back, a backlog of improvements by ROI behavior. Like... Um, it, this is customer behavior stuff, and I love this work. It's not on my backlog, so um, and my team yells at me when I pick up a, a, a shiny thing. So I I'm, I know what I'm going to be doing this weekend. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, can we go back to community? Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, we can now. Um, so my problem with how you phrased it. So I completely agree. Community is going to be an important part of this. Oh. Um, now I remember why it went on the sidetrack. So we did the MS poll. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fifteen minutes you, ago, you, you have you have to unstack. You have to unwind the stack in order. So MS poll. MS poll. We already made fun of it. Can't, um, can't guarantee we're done. A couple of the feedback. So we, uh, uh, my manager runs a data science team, as do I, mm-hmm. and one of the things that popped in the poll was a need for better collaboration and better innovation. And um, we had one of our lower level ICs sort of drive the MS poll deconstruction. Now, one of the problems I had actually with it, with it, and it's fascinating, like I work with a bunch of data scientists but they are – I don't know. It, it just turns out the data scientists are human too. And um, like I – For like, now. Right, for now. You know, five years from now, that, that might change. But the, the – what I have is, uh, is built up through my training is 
uh, after I think through something, I go, okay, now what biases have been put into play that are going to invalidate my results before I go off and, and gather this data, right? So this poor kid had had a discussion with, with my manager and my manager primed him with what the big problems are. And so when he got the team together to decompose, they went into problem-solving mode on those problems instead of them communicating what they view what's the biggest problems, right? I'm just like, okay, this isn't going to go well because um, just because the manager thinks it's the biggest problem and that's generally because, hey, on MS Poll it scored low doesn't mean the employees actually care. Or it's the biggest problem to the employees. Anyway, collaboration and innovation. One of the things I, I told him, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And he said, well, why? And I got to uh, do something with him that the listeners of A-B Testing know, and that is on the topic of innovation, where do new ideas come from? They come from other ideas, Brent. Yes. So – if you don't have a collaborative environment, what likely is your environment like on the topic of innovation? Uh, without any collaboration, your uh, opportunity for innovation, I would say, is very small. You, Brent. you are relying on um, a much smaller set of people who will go off and do their learning themselves offline. Absolutely. Um, so you're relying on, I don't know, no, I th innovation I, I, heroes? And, and I think collaboration is essential and, and communication and just sharing whatever is essential for innovation. Yep. That's why, why I have a community. Go on. Collaboration, knowledge sharing are critical to two big important things. Innovation and productively um, reducing uh, maintenance costs and and duplication of effort. Sure. Right. Now, I almost didn't say duplication of effort um, because I am not one of those people who say duplication of effort is evil always. Um, who would say that? Lots of lots of lots of people. Well, they're stupid. No, I mean there you, are. You've no. not been. I agree, but have you not been in a meeting where I have where someone's like. Alan, you're duplicating effort, and that's and they view that as the coup de gras winning stroke for the argument. I'm not. I they're they're stupid too. Right, and it's <laughs> all like, right. So you don't, you don't get a pass. It's all so, like it's, yeah. I do think knowledge sharing is critical, but when you're talking about um, when you're talking about you as the re, the the manager of a reporting structure, mm -hmm. um. Saying that you're you're essentially a community organizer, not entirely, but largely, yeah. Um, I don't know. It feels weird saying that in some in a in a formal structure. What I think, uh, and the other thing too is you're also saying, um, and and you're exceptional at community organization on. Um, particularly on the quality knowledge-sharing topic. You want to drive action to some degree. 
Yeah. And in the knowledge sharing aspects, there's a high degree of optionality in there. If if you're going to have uh, them sort of take command from the PO of their individual feature team or whatever the structure is at Unity. I'm actually thinking what you want to do is formalize that a bit more and, and leverage um, matrix organization style. Yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with that. That's not something I'm against. And, pro and, and I'm doing some of that already. But... If you look at uh, so a, a sense of yeah, community is an important thing, but there should be some small force of that, or some small subset of that, where in essence you're saying no, this is in fact forced knowledge sharing. Well, I think it's important to remind you and the three of the context where Unity has many many services spread out across many locations, and they're different backgrounds and contexts on how they came into being. Right. So what I, one of my goals is to establish, I don't believe that we should use the exact same tools, exact same processes across all services, but there is a, a prime opportunity for growth in finding some aspects of collaboration and consistency across those. So, yeah. And you and I both know uh, that rather than, me tell the team, do this. I can highlight some good ideas, of course, but one way is to motivate teams to try something new is to celebrate the successes in another part of the team. If I have one part of the team that's really good at using monitoring to uh, to predict uh, customer failure or something interesting with data, and I want to push that behavior, right. um, I'm going to go celebrate that. This is really cool. I did this, blah, blah, blah. Maybe get the person to like write a few lines on it, whatever. Not make it over the top, but... I want to have these frequent, like, here's a really cool thing someone did. Here's someone created a, a nice fake backend, nice mock framework, where they, and they did, were able to do this and this and this. Or somebody did blah, blah, blah. I want to highlight those things and highlight the things I want to see the larger part of the org do. And so that's one method of sharing in community. I, I yep. believe that's part of community. I want to uh, – I want to there's names for this that I've forgotten at the time, but we've all read plenty of books around how, why, and anecdotes like why this approach works. So it's my community metaphor is for me to facilitate those kinds of things and why I justify, I don't need to justify it, but why I feel, honestly feel that it's very valuable to have this QA organization reporting to me where they work within teams spread across the entire company. Yeah, the... Just just a, a small bit of guidance if you hadn't thought about that. When you do that, that, that public praising, right, what I would do is uh, – so make it a positive version of Alan's soapbox, whereas on A-B testing, it's generally rants. This would be uh, the – yay, the cheerleading version. Absolutely, and, but and let me, there's a but here. But directly tie it to – published principles um, that you say are, are important for the next yeah, yeah. fiscal for year sure. or things like that. Yep. That way you don't run the risk. And again, I, I'm very aware that the, the culture at Unity is likely to be very different than here. But you do not want to run the risk of, of a particular team that never gets called out um, saying you're excluding us. Like you want to be able to make it very clear, 
like I don't give a crap about who's doing it. I'm going to praise those who are, are yeah. clearly showing advancements towards the principles. And you also don't want to be accused of favoritism. Yeah, if there's one team that gets you, like they run the risk of of them being the ones that you praise most often and that the focus ends off, oh, yeah, Alan just I, loves that team. Definitely keep that in mind, but that is uh, would be much more of a problem at Microsoft Teams. Good. I mean, for me, no. <laughs> but for you, yeah. Um, and then the other thing that it reminds me of is is my training with Safe. So Safe has this role called the architect, and the architect is kind of um, sounds to me it feels very familiar or familiar to what you're doing. So at planning events, the architect, their job is to say, "Hey guys, you guys are empowered to figure out how you do this, but by this date." I want all my feature teams to have converged to this principle or this specific architecture. Or like an example, when I went through it, it was, um, uh, uh, hey, we have a a new uh, Java security update. Uh, By the second quarter of this year, everyone must have moved to the latest update. Right? So... It, it creates a way of where you're creating a mo- uh, motivation, a specific requirement that motivates knowledge sharing. Mm-hmm. But without, you know, without being a high level executive douchebag that does things like, I don't care, everyone in Microsoft will use WTT. WTT, for those on the acronym patrol, is yeah. a. Um, it's an acronym for a f- test framework in Windows. So it was called yeah, yeah. Uh, Wasting Testers Time. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry. Um, Windows Test Technologies, I think. No, uh, I mean, I refer to it as the WTF. Yeah, WTF framework. Yeah. The, the Windows w- Test <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Anyway, but it, I mean, uh, so thankfully, I th- the WTT problems, uh, from my view, has been resolved. People, People are... Empowered to solve their own problems now. What I'm rewinding a little bit. So what I hear you saying is not necessarily that you disagree with the idea of the community metaphor at all, but to be careful that it's not. Don't frame it as. Don't frame it entirely as it's part of what it is. More than that is what it is. Building the community is your secondary goal, not your primary. That's, That's what I'm saying. I agree with that. It gives me a way to, I like the concept because as, I mean, I am, you may have, you three, uh, I don't know what it's like at other companies, but these testers are very much embedded as part of the dev team. They could, in a lot of companies, they would just report to the dev manager. I think they are better suited for their career and better suited for their learning working for me and being that expert and growing in that way. So I think the community is very important, but perhaps you're right. I should think about whether how much I stake uh, the QA community as what it is versus um, other goals. Is community your destination or the vehicle you're taking? Community is the vehicle. Right. So don't frame it as the destination. That's all. all right. That's Get all it. I'm saying. Eh, whatever. We spent 20 minutes talking about 30. Depends on editing. 
<laughs> That's it. Okay. Good discussion. Good to be back. Shall we go on to uh, number four? Sure. Did we skip three? That was three. All right. You ready? Yeah. Because I need to warm up for this. Me, 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 me. Mailbag! You're doing the thing at the end now. Is that a new thing? Yeah, you know. You're mixing it up? Mixing it up. So we have a mailbag from Marcus. Marcus! Marcus, thank you for being one of the three. And Marcus has a question about money. Yes, please. All right. Marcus says, would love to hear opinion and thoughts around budget challenges and testing. It's budget season for me and my team. And in my team, it can be difficult to do what's needed, innovate, change, and keep improving when restrictions on people and equipment spend keep appearing. I've been reading Essentialism and moving toward nothing less, and this fits with data-driven quality somewhat, and focusing on the essential. It's helping for sure. Any thoughts and help appreciated? So uh, budget, money, not enough, short end of the stick, whatever. It's budget. I'm not sure what budget season is. Oh, you, you, I Actually, I know from Microsoft. Budget season is when you have to somehow predict how much money you're going to spend in the next fiscal year, which starts on July 1st. Yeah. Something that I – my budget was so far off. Just in my six months of FY17, whatever it was, not my fault really at all, but it was just a mess. So it definitely not having to deal with budget at that level uh, is very much good, very much good for my blood pressure. <laughs> anyway, go ahead and give it a shot, Brent. Well, so I haven't read Essentialism. Have you? No. No. Okay. So let's let's answer the other parts of the question. Like, well, so hey, we we can't be obligated to read things. No, we do that proactively. You're right, 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 right. So we didn't read that, but I I get the gist of what it's about. Only the essential. Although I did pick up the uh, the book you suggested from Ron Jeffrey. Oh yeah, what'd you think of that? Uh, I mean, I, I've only scanned it right now, but I'm like, I like this format. It kind of reminds me of... Um, but you could have written that book. It's like all stuff I've heard Brent spew out. Yeah. This, this it, is the uh, the Nature of Software Development by Ron Jeffries. It, it, it almost... Uh, just scanning through it, it, it kind of feels like like the, the slide deck version of Ryan Edgerson's book. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway. So, and one thing maybe missing from 57 was there were no tangents. Tangents are part of who we are. It's our DNA. So, uh, yeah, budgets, I, budgets, budgets, budgets. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have spent the majority of my career, although I think that's that's coming up to now nearly 50-50. Like, I've spent a large portion of my career as a middle management and um, like my strategy to this one, this particular problem has been rather effective. And that is to read, uh, reverse delegate this to my manager. That, that, that works quite well for me. My God. <laughs> um, so in terms of the that budget. That can depend entirely on your manager. Oh, no, it can. But well, do- well done. Um, 
the the budget problems, right? It, you have these resource constraints. You have you have uh, these equipment constraints, right? And when you the last few times that I've had to deal with this, and the last time was in was when I was in Bing, which is now five years ago. Um, it's nice actually being in compute because there's a strong feeling that com that compute is the an important future. So um, we, for a good long time, we've been pretty much getting everything we want when yeah. we want it. On the budget, like it, the last time I had to deal with this, it was essentially, all right, I put a number out. I can, I, I, I go, all right, if we're going to keep doing the things that, that we've been doing, so if we're going to do it an evolutionary process, then you, then it's relatively easy to say, all right, this is from historical measures. You pull things together and you go, this is, this is my prediction. And you, you buffer up because um, predictions are almost always wrong. Yep. And then you go through the process of renegotiating because almost always everyone has yeah, that, submitted a that, budget. That, that's true with budget everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so let me um, – The one thing about me on this one, though, is is I go, okay, these are the goals I got to achieve uh, that, that I'm expecting to have to achieve in the next year. Um, these are the things where I absolutely have to have money to do that. Um, like if I know I'm going to need another, you know, couple thousand machine resources uh, to pull off the scenarios that we're sort of predicting, mm -hmm. um, then I will, I will. I th yeah. Put let me that in. let me throw throw my perspective in because it budget covers a lot of things, but it does. As far as essentialism goes, what's that book? First, break all the rules. Mm -hmm. Does the concept? The title applies. Nothing else. Um, one is, I think machines are work machines are cheap. You just buy them. I think if you're looking at uh, Microsoft, traditionally you just buy hardware all the time versus use services like Sauce Labs or Cobiton or any of the others. Uh, look into those because uh, you have to. When you think about budget, and one way to negotiate more budget for a license for something like that is you're not using office space. And again, at Microsoft, you go, well, it's a different budget, so it doesn't matter. But it's it's all still money. Like lab space in Redmond and Bellevue is very expensive. You can use that at a virtual farm, whether it's um, in, uh, Amazon, um, what do they call it? Amazon device farm is also very good. So that can cover a lot of your testing stuff and make it actually easier to automate and make it so you don't have to have an office or a set of offices taken down to, to build a lab. There's a lot of specifics with the – what. So, before, before you go, the, my final point on the budget one was essentially after you get, go through the negotiation, right, it's, it's a lot – you expect that your budget is going to be shrunk. I'm not really afraid of budgets because I've – over the years, I've come up with – as long so, as it's within a certain point, I've come up with creative solutions. But we're talking about two sides of this. There's one yeah. – there's the whole ne budget negotiation, which you put out something that makes sense and you get what they give you. But then it's about being creative after that. That's yeah, maybe that's, looking into – Device farm versus devices. It is looking at like one thing I've learned at at Unity. I've mentioned to you at least privately, but that everyone working any place else except for Microsoft has figured out is that 
everybody just has a laptop. They plug it into monitors and the keyboard at work. And uh, it's a way of not buying everybody a PC and a laptop. You can be creative and say, hey, we're going to try this out because it actually works in everywhere else in the world except for Microsoft. Uh, other things are there's maybe, say there's a growth of 20 heads added to your team for the next year, your growing team. And of course, the dev manager takes 16 of them and gives you four. And you're going, well, shit, I'm going to need six to get what I want to get done. You're at, you are in the advantage in this case. So let's say, it's, let's say it's 14 and six. I know I need more. It's stupid of me to ask for more unless all, all of mine are filled. So my strategy there is fill the damn heads quickly. And then what I've done successfully before and which I plan to do at Unity is show, although our ratios are much smaller, is show like, like I'm talking to the dev lane and go, oh, there's this really cool test idea. I want to blah, 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 blah. And it's going to be awesome. He goes, that's really cool. Why aren't you doing that? Ah, I, I need one more head to get it done. Well, I have extra heads. Take one of mine. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it works because you only have six to fill and they may be a little harder than filling the dev heads. But once those are filled and you're out of heads and you can show that you need more bodies to get the work done that your peer sees as necessary, they're absolutely going to give you that head unless they're just a total dickwad. Uh, so you can use that. And, and, but there are the challenge in budgets is not in the budgeting process. It's how to deal with the hand you're dealt afterwards. Well, and yeah. when you're dealing with vendor companies, they'll always negotiate down. They want your business, whether it's people for uh, contract resources or for uh, services, uh, they will always try and at Microsoft though, my feeling at Microsoft is they'll always try and charge you more because you work at Microsoft and Microsoft budget managers are shitty at negotiation. The the other thing I'll say, like it it in in the typical Microsoft budget, because you also have to you have to estimate your budget numbers. In, into different line items, and you're not allowed to move money and across. way, 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 way in advance of actually knowing what's going to go on. Yeah. So there's that prediction nature. Um, like, it is May now, and it's late for budgeting now. We're probably late to answer this question, but Marcus is budgeting for the year beginning July 1st, going through July 1st, 2018. Yeah, it might be late. Uh, Sorry, Marcus. So generally, you you get the budget in June. Uh, it may not be late, but it, yeah. I mean, if the due date hasn't happened yet, it's soonish. Um, and so things like, um, like when it comes to payroll money, I want flexibility. Uh, I want the ability to go. I don't want to have to hire a full timer for. A project that I that I know is coming, and I expect to only last three months. Right, right. Um, yeah, but it's so hard in the work that you and I do, maybe me especially, uh, to know what I'm going to need that far in advance. Like, oh yeah, in in January I'll need someone for three months. No, this idea. is why I like my budget to be to be um, uh, as aggregated as possible. Yeah. Here's your payroll budget. Here's your human resource budget, right? And so uh, then I can say, hey, the full-timers I need are the ones for uh, the work that I'm going to sustain. But uh, we're in an agile world now, mm-hmm. and it doesn't it doesn't come in as a continuous request. It's bursty. 
And yeah. I want the ability to be able to to uh, deal with the burst loads. Now, I, uh, Marcus, he's in the games group, right? Um, and I know they have a, a bursty season, but that bursty season, I think, is a bit more predictable than sure. in, in my world, right? Um, like, uh, I have now learned when Mexico's tax season is. No idea. Oh, I was just talking to one of my employees this morning who's doing some work. Uh, I own also the website and every all which includes all the payment systems. Yep. And like he is, uh, he was telling me about all the tax codes everywhere that he had to learn in order to figure out how to do this testing. I thought, holy crud! Yeah, the for the testing, that's one thing. I I mean, I remember back in the day when I, I so for whatever reason in my career, I spent a good portion. Testing calendaring. Um, actually, no. I'm, I shouldn't snore because actually the coolest bugs live there. I implemented the daylight savings time, daylight saving time algorithm for uh, yeah. Windows CE way back when. The um, and so it's one like one it's, of the. It's why I decided facts, to be a tester instead of a developer. One of the fun facts that comes up very rarely is is uh, hey leap day doesn't work the way most people think it works. It's not every four years, as an example. Well, not every four years. Right. Mostly every four years, with with exceptions. Right. Outliers. Yeah, yeah most people know that. Well, smart people. You hang around with too many dummies. <laughs> um, the. What did Marcus ask specifically? Did did I, we just I, ramble on about I, budgets? I think we gave him good enough answer for A B. Okay. Mainly because we're out of time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's been fun. Good to be back. I think we're recording again next week. We are. Woo! Cinco de what's twelve? Dose. Dose. Cinco de dose. That probably doesn't mean tequila and tacos. No, you just said five of 12. Oh, Dose de Mayo. Yeah. God. <laughs> Speaking of Brent hanging around with dumb people, I'm Alan. <laughs> I'm Brent. And we'll see you next time on A-B Testing. Walking